0: Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. And it's another episode recorded during lockdown. And I couldn't believe it when the email came through saying, would you be interested um, in talking to Lamal? And I was like, oh my God, yes. The first record I ever owned featured Kajagoogoo. And my kids are obsessed with stranger things and and well, as am I and and to have that series culminate with never ending story, I just had a load of questions that I wanted to ask him um, and we recorded it over Skype and, and he was an absolute delight as you're about to find out um, but before we get on with it, just um, a huge thank you to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network um, huge love to my producer seventy six, who's who's got his work cut out, you know, at the moment because it's not two straight up audio files coming over. He's you know lots of stuff he's done over Zoom or Skype, and so you know seventy six is doing his best to ensure that all of these recordings sound as as as, as normal as to what you're used to listening to. So uh, so huge thanks to seventy six. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna get on with the episode. Um, and it feels amazing to be able to say this next line please enjoy Off The Beat and Track podcast with Lamar I've got an announcement Save Our Souls Clothing www.sosclothing.co.uk why am I telling you this? because they're our official sponsor yeah that's right go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale you're going to love it so they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South on sea just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fair Wear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code Beat 15 B-E-A-T-1-5 and that'll save you 15% off amazing right www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beat & Track podcast let's get back to that podcast it's Off The Beat & Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network with me, Stew Whippin Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten & Track Podcast And sitting opposite me today, via
2: the means of Skype, is Lamar Hi Stu How are um, you doing? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm touching wood Still healthy, and uh, surviving Trying to survive, you... trying not to be paranoid Every time I cough, I think, is this it?
0: <laughs> oh no, I'm exactly the same, I'm exactly the same How have you found it? you know being I, I imagine being a you know a pop star and, and, and do, are, you, are you very much a people person or are you quite happy um, in, in isolation
2: oh I, i've got withdrawal symptoms from culture you know mm. i i live in Hertfordshire, which is about 15 minutes outside of london and I, you know, I do go in a lot and I love the theatre and I love gigs and I love restaurants and I love the buzz. Um, I love life like everybody else and I I do, I am missing it. But it's been interesting, hasn't it, in terms of um, long hair, in terms of re- resisting the chocolate, <laughs> in terms of... Um, yeah, in terms of mental challenge, really. So, uh, normally I go to the gym a couple of times a week, and um, I'm, I'm going cycling instead, which is really nice, and the weather was amazing. So, all in all, um, I'm okay. And obviously, I, I tell myself every day that I'm just really lucky if I don't get this virus.
0: Yeah, sure.
2: Because I'm 61, I'm not, you know we do hear people dying really young and and uh i did smoke when i was younger so i i i'm i would be concerned about that i always cough a bit in the morning anyway yeah so i think for the last five weeks every morning i go just double checking you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) i think i don't think you're alone there i think uh, i think we're all doing it um well Look, I always start this podcast um, with the song with the greatest ever intro.
2: Mm. Um, you've got a hundred years of music. These are difficult choices, your seven questions, Stu. But
0: I, I understand they can change at any given day. I know that. <laughs> I know it's hard to do.
2: But obviously, I, I've chosen stuff that meant something to me, um, especially growing up. I, I find that. When I hear other people talking about music, it always relates to memories. And so for me, it was, it is, Ain't No Mountain High Enough by Dinah Ross in 1970. Um, I remember as a kid being completely enthralled and in awe of this song. Um, It's drama, the seeming heights of Dinah Ross's vocal, the sheer weight in the arrangement, like it was a hundred piece orchestra. To a 13-year-old boy in Wigan, it offered me escapism, joy, optimism. Diana Ross was really my first heroine. So many fantastic hits growing up. I'm still waiting. Touch me in the morning. All of my life. Upside down. The boss. Remember me. Love child with the Supremes. Surrender. Stop, look, listen to your heart etc etc the list goes on
0: i'll tell you what right it's so it's so strange you just listed all of them because um i did see that um diana ross was meant to be playing the o2 i, I can't remember when it was it was this year i believe yeah um uh, uh, I, I presume that may be rescheduled now and i was talking to my friends about it just saying look i, I think we should we should go and watch Dinah ross mm. like, it, it's like it's some of them artists that that I'm not necessarily like, a massive, massive fan of, but I think I, 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 they've had such an impact in, 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 in music and culture that, you know, I want to I want to see them. And uh, and then we just sat there and we started saying, yeah, I don't really think I'm a big fan. I mean, I like that one and then that one and then that one and then that one and then that one. And then you think, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah. Like, how many artists can, like, roll off this amount of great records? There's, you know, you could probably count them on, like, you know, both hands. It's... Uh, an and, and absolute... Yeah, yeah and, and, and that track that, that you've chosen, is, it is riddled with drama, and it's all about when it drops, and when it drops with just a big crescendo of... And, and, and it's weird that you say drama and, and that, because just looking, we'll, we'll get onto it, you know, you, the last track you've chosen as well, that that, that, that drama is personified in, in, in that choice as well. Um, but uh, But, yeah, so... What I want to um, ask as well, which is, I always ask guests this um, in, in regards to um, intros in music. Um, you you burst onto the music scene. Uh, what I regard as as a as a moment of like, uh, I guess it was that that kind of early '80s synth pop scene was just pure. Just perfect pop music there were so many bands making incredible pop music um yeah and it was like riddled with hooks and and i just wonder like how you approached you know intros and how much emphasis you put them on then to like what you've done since then
2: oh boy ha <laughs> what a question um i have never thought that much about intros I, I I look at songs as a as a whole piece really. I mean, in, it's weird you should talk about intros because Too Shy intro is one of the longest intros and we all Yeah. we all wondered if it was going to be a problem. I think it's 38 seconds.
0: <laughs> by that by that do you mean a problem for radio? Yes. Yeah, yeah.
2: And that whole thing of the corporates in suits at the record company going Oh, radio won't play this. It's uh, the the intro's too long. You know, it's the is it six and a half minutes of the Queen's song Bohemian Rhapsody? Yeah, in, like in the film, you can't play this. Radio won't play it. One of my songs that we're in my list that we're going to talk about later is, is two minutes and twenty five seconds. And in the sixties, that's how pop songs were. Yeah, you know. So um, yeah, a forty second intro on Too Shy. Uh, I can imagine why they, f- they flagged it up. But um, if I could come back to Ain't No Mountain High Enough by Dinah Ross, um, I remember buying my first vinyl records, singles, by the way, because that's all I could afford, and proudly arriving at the local youth club on Tuesday and Thursday nights to play them. My records were like trophies to me, a sort of fashion statement. I felt cool owning something that was being played on the radio and in the hit parade. (laughs) Of course, at at 13, I had no idea about loving someone so much that there could be no mountain high enough, no valley low enough. I was just swept away by the power and the hope that it offered. Written, of course, by Ashford and Simpson, solid as a rock, who wrote many... Hits everything, (laughs) and in fact, in researching this article, I didn't know they'd written California Soul, which I love that song from the 60s. The Marlena Shaw version, by the way, not it's got to
0: be Marlena Shaw. It's got to be Marlena Shaw.
2: You're all I need to get by Marvin Gaye, Tammy Terrell, the three Dynaros hits. So, you know, it's wonderful when you get all the cogs in the chain. Working together. So you've got the Motown team, you've got uh, Hollandosia Holland, you've got great artists, and you've got uh, this time, I imagine, um, five. They had, Barry Gordy had five, he bought five houses in the end on that street in, in Detroit. So, first of all, they had the the one house where they housed the studio, but things got so massive at Motown. So I went to the museum two years ago, three years ago. No, two years ago, 2018. I did an American tour with ABC and Belinda Carlisle, and the last gig was in Detroit. And I said, right, I've got to go back to the UK the day after because I have got to go to the Motown Museum. And... um, yeah, I learned while I was there on this tour that um, in the end they had five buildings on the same street. So one building was doing marketing, one building was doing choreography, one building was doing the, obviously the recording, one building was doing something else. So um, amazing machine really creative machine yeah. to be involved with. And, and, the, and of course, the, the, the records speak for themselves.
0: Yeah, I've, I've, I think that there's not been many hit factories that could churn out, uh, that have churned out that, that amount of, of incredible pop music, the, the Motown. I think they're absolute masters. Ne- so, never been better, in my opinion.
2: So do I take it, you went to see the Motown show at the theatre...
0: I have, I have, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: what did you think? Did you like it? I thought it was all right, I thought it was all right. Did you enjoy it? I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. I was kind of sad when it closed. I thought we'd run, like, Lion King for, like, ten years or something, because Motown was so big to me. Oh, no. You know, I had, like, every Greatest Hits album, and the artwork on them was like, you could frame them, you could put them on the yeah. wall as a piece of art.
0: Um, <laughs> it, it's uh, It's quite weird, because the first... The first album that I owned was Motown Chartbusters, and it was a silver album, and it just had the the, and it was like my parents. That was like that that
2: was three or four, by the way, because I remember it.
0: It was. This one's got "Ain't No Mountain High Enough" on it. Yeah, and it's also got "I'm Gonna Make You Love Me" by Dinah Ross, The Temptations, or is it The Four Tops? Uh, And and it's got "Tears of a Clown" on it as well. Yeah. but the first album I ever bought was now that's what I call music. The first one, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and I think your handsome face is on the front of that.
2: Do you know I'm on that twice? I think you're on
0: that. You're the only <laughs> band that's on that twice.
2: <laughs> Quite an accolade, eh?
0: <laughs> yes, yes. It's uh, yeah, and it, it, it's really strange because I, I I constantly talk about that on, on on this show. I've spoke to so many people at that. That album is still to this day the most important album I've ever owned because it turned me on to so much music. That and and it was and I actually had um the the the, the, the guy from Virgin that come up with the now concept on this podcast and, and was the first guy to put it out and, uh, and and spoke about the the numbers of records that that shifted was just incredible. Uh, yeah, you look at sort of album sales today compared to what and now that's what I call music done it was unbelievable
2: so that was that was an uh, amalgamation of corporate heads getting together and i think it was it it was it was virgin head head of virgin records and the head of emi i'm not sure if there was another third company involved and that's why it's only their artists on it and then then of course the other record companies went oh we're missing out and so then you had was it called hits yep hits hits And so there were three or four other record companies that threw all their products onto that. That's right. And hence the start of the massive compilations. Yeah. Not like in the 70s when you had to buy weirdly recorded cover versions called Top of the Pops.
0: Do you know what, Lamar? (laughs) I love going record shopping in like charity shops and boot sales. and. Most of them now have been like all the good stuff's gone, and so all you're left with are those kind of top of the pops album with the scantily clad woman on the front.
2: <laughs> I know. What was all that about? <laughs> but I remember okay. the, fir- the first time I bought one of those um, weird cover versions top of the pops albums, so disappointed because I yeah. thought, "Oh, this is not what I'm listening to on the radio." But that was the first attempted. Compilation of chart hits because it didn't really work, mm. but yeah, now that's what I call music and the hits albums. You, if you waited, well, I think it was a few months then, but now it's probably about a month. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, Lamar, for track two,
0: the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you.
2: Okay, so the first song I remember hearing that had an emotional impact on me is. Puff the Magic Dragon by Peter, Paul and Mary in 1962. I would have been about four or five years old and towards the end of the song they sing Jackie Paper Came No More and the poor dragon Puff slips back into his cave without a friend and I remember having a real lump in my throat at our school music class singing it during the lesson. And even now when I hear it, it can still make me feel sad, which is kind of spooky, isn't it? That a song from being a very young child can have such an impact on your psyche. Mm-hmm. So let me put it this way. It's not on any of my Spotify playlists. <laughs> <laughs> I could add their other memorable hit, Leaving on a Jet Plane, which was written by John Denver. Mm-hmm. Beautiful um, Puff the Magic Dragon was based on a poem by a college friend Leonard Lipton. and the song was rumored to be about drugs, <laughs> particularly That's right. yeah. particularly m- marijuana. And this rumor was fueled by a 1964 Newsweek article about hidden drug messages in pop music that came up with the following interpretations: "Puff's friend Jackie Paper equals rolling papers." Puff equals to take a puff from a joint." And dragon equals a variation of drag, as in taking a drag from a joint to inhale the smoke. But apparently it's about lost innocence of childhood.
0: But I'll tell you what, um, when you sent your um, song choices over to me and I read Puff the Magic Dragon, I remember feeling exactly the same. I remember hearing that and just the sadness. And and there's another song by... uh, um, by someone that's you don't really want to talk about anymore. Two little boys was the same as well. Yes. And it was just that that sadness. Mm. And and I, and I think because them them two songs were sort of almost like story told that as as a young man, or as a little boy I guess, like it I, I could understand it, whereas a lot of other songs, you know, the lyrics were far more complex. But them songs, they, they did just and I remember literally feeling really sad hearing Puff the Magic Dragon. Mm. I think Unbeknown th- to me, it was all about chasing the dragon and getting whacked.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those weird folk songs that mm. has, I don't know, it's, it's, it's become c- kind of part of culture, isn't it? You know, i I've, I spoke to... Couple of friends about it when I knew I was doing this interview with you, and they all remember it, even though they're not, even though they're not old enough.
0: Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Mm. Uh, some songs just kind of find their way through the cracks of time and that. And and I've, I've said it before on this, this podcast. I was, I was driving a little while ago, um, and I had Absolute on uh, in the car. And somewhere in my heart, by Aztec camera come, come on the radio yeah and um, and my daughters at the time were like thirteen and fifteen and and both were singing along, and I was just thinking, how, how on earth do you do, do you know these
2: songs like, yeah. how,
0: how would you know
2: this and it's just some songs just find their way through yeah um, and, and in a way that 's one of the wonderful things about them isn 't it that they can just cross generations which of course, brings me to NeverEnding Story. And I know we're not even supposed to talk about that in this podcast, but NeverEnding Story has reached a whole new generation through Stranger Things on Netflix. I've just got the plug in. (laughs)
0: Lamar, I've spoke to all manner of musicians on this podcast. <laughs> and mo- most of the time, my-, my kids have no idea who they are or even interested in who they are. Oh, really? And when I told them that I was speaking to the guy that sung Never Ending Story, it blew their minds, oh, mate. Oh, <laughs> you
2: see? You see? What are their names?
0: <laughs> so how has that been? In, you know, Because Stranger Things is obviously one of the, the most successful TV shows of recent times. It's huge. And, like, mm. and obviously, the, the climax of that show is soundtracked by a never-ending story. It's and unbelievable. And, and how has it been for you?
2: Oh, was. Well, it, it came out of the blue. Um, you know, I hear about it through social media, etc. Um, what happens is the people who own the copyrights, who manage the copyrights in the recordings, so you've got... And they're, they're the biggies now. You, I mean, there are only three biggies really controlling the music business around the world the conglomerates that are sony universal and warner and they do that every day that's what they do they they manage their copyrights they 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 market them and they, they try to uh, they put them in movies and they put them behind tv commercials etc and um, i i had no idea about um, never Any story being used in stranger things The next thing I know, my two 20 year old nephews, my sister's kids, who were, you know, they're WhatsApping me going, oh my God, Uncle C. Because, you know, they call me Uncle C, Uncle Chris. And um, yeah, the the Spotify streams of Neverending Story went up from 300,000 to 1.5 million after the broadcast of Stranger Things on Netflix. And that That's was just in the States. That was mainly in the States. Yes, it is. It's crazy, isn't it? So um, it's been awesome to, for, for the song, 35 years later, to reach a whole new generation. And you talk about your kids. Um, I did a gig, um, a private function, in Burke Hampstead in, uh, in Hertfordshire last October. And it, there was lots of kids of the of the people that were at this event, and when I got to the end of the set and I started talking about never ending story and and how it 's being used in strange things, a bunch of kids came running in and the, they 're just standing there in front of the stage, and I was thinking to myself it 's going to be loud, you might want to step back <laughs> and and the excitement on their faces the sheer you know the way kids do. They can't. They can't hide it. They're like they're tapping each other, and the the little bodies are shaking. It was just absolutely brilliant, and uh, that's what really gives me a thrill. You know, because obviously I've been living with this song for all my life. I've performed it all over the world, and I never listen to it, of course, away from you know performing it. But it gives it a freshness every time I do it. When Things like that happen. The, I know that people, the older generation, have memories attached to the songs. It was their first kiss, it was their first holiday. It was you know something that happened in their childhood, and now that's happening again. It's just uh, it, it's a gift really. it's like, a, it's like a, an unexpected Christmas present for me for sure.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. I love it. Okay, track three. Yeah. The song that reminds you of your time at school.
2: So the song that reminds me of my school days, again, there's a lot of choices, but I've gone for Sweet Talking Guy by The Chiffons in 1972. This was the, this was the 72 version was released Um, apparently six years earlier, but didn't do anything. And I love those stories about songs because it happens so much. You know, circumstances change and suddenly a song that was dismissed is... And they go, oh, yeah, it is good after all. So this was a big northern soul hit, this song, before it crossed over to the mainstream. Now, I was born and raised in Wigan, which had one of the most famous Northern Soul venues, the Wigan Casino, where, by the way, I won a singing contest, but that's another story. Now, my older brother, Tony, used to play this song all the time and do all the excellent Northern Soul dance moves. I was about 14. It's got loads of those old-school pop music tricks, girly ooh-oohs, Vocal lines repeated by the backing singers and a great middle instrumental. Loads of energy. I remember we played it over and over and now I know why and I said it earlier. It's only two minutes, 23 seconds long. Um, I love the four bars of staccato strings building up at the beginning to the verse. When I hear it now, I'm playing trumpet from school sometimes. (laughs) I'm watching my brother tony dancing with joy
0: could you could you do it could you dance i I mean the northern soul dancing for those that aren't aware of it then just go on youtube and watch it because it's one of the most incredible things you will ever see people that can do that properly it is it's like a hybrid of breakdancing martial arts and it's 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 phenomenal spins high kicks it's 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 marvelous and and the music that soundtracked it was was beautiful so did you get to you, you got to the casino then
2: i don't know how i got in there because i was underage and no. i think i think the manager just felt sorry for me or something they just let me in or or i found a way of sneaking in and then you just would get lost in the crowd it it was a beautiful old ballroom that became um you know they they became kind of disused and then they started you know, um, letting it out to outside promoters to do this events and, th- and this sort of Northern Soul thing grew. And um Northern Soul, Russ Winstonley was one of the DJs I remember. Was I think he's still doing the, the? He is. Yes, and and there was one other guy that was particularly famous. Oh, I can't remember his name. Do you know any of the Northern Soul DJ names? I'll tell you his uh, name if you say it.
0: Um There was. Oh, God. Uh, oh, Chris Ever- Everson? No. Um, oh, God, it escapes me. Oh, I literally saw him at a retrospective event about two years ago. Was there a Russ? No, I've said Russ him. With Stanley. Russ Stanley. Yes, yeah.
2: Winstonley. Russ Winston- There were, Anyway, so the, the, the Northern Soul had a, had a big impact on music globally. What people don't realise, for example, is that Tainted Love... Of by course. Soft Cell had been a minor Northern Soul hit in a, in the mid seventies for Gloria Jones, who was a soul singer from America. And when she came over here to promote it, she met and became the girlfriend of T Rex singer Mark Bolan, with whom they had a child that they named Roland. So Roland Boland <laughs> Crazy, eh? And yeah. and she was driving the Mini. But that's another story.
0: And they say that the um most expensive seven inch single you can buy is the original recording, which I don't believe was out it did come out on Motan. But it was a a Northern Soul classic, and apparently, it's that there's a very rare pressing of it that is regarded as the most expensive record, and that's "Do I Love You" by Frank Wilson.
2: Okay, I need to. I'll have to Spotify that because
0: oh, it's a beautiful off the top of
2: my head. I bet I know it as soon as I hear it.
0: The minute you hear it, you'll go, "Oh, of course,
2: yeah." Uh, So,
0: how how was school?
2: Uh, School was tough. School was tough for me. Um, I'm gay. I think I was a little bit effeminate at school, and the the kids saw that. So I was bullied a bit, Um, and so I hung out with the girls. (laughs) I got on really well with the girls. Um, And uh, my dad was a drinker. That wasn't easy. Um, So I think music was one of the reasons I sort of... It helped me to feel happy. It offered some, as I said earlier, some optimism.
0: An escapism.
2: Absolutely, yeah. what did you want to be at school? Oh, I decided from about the age of... I was singing very young. My sister said I used to walk into shops and say, can I sing for you? Because I'd blown all my money on the amusement arcade. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'd, and they'd give me, like, I don't know, five pence, and then I could get my bus fare home. Um, <laughs> when, I, when I think about that, I'm slightly embarrassed, uh, and I'm slightly like, what? WTF? You know, how can you just walk into... I, I would love to watch a video of it back if, if somebody had had CCTV of me walking in, hello, can I sing for you in my northern accent? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I, as I got into music, sort of, 10, 11, 12, I, I thought it was going to be a DJ. That's, that's, that's what I wanted to be. My dad was a mine, and my brothers were going to go into the mines, and that did not appeal to me. Uh, In fact, I'm a bit claustrophobic. I mean, it, the idea scared me, to be honest. And full credit to the people who did it, who were still doing it. But it wasn't for me. So... Um, so s- yeah, so so for school was school wasn't great. I played truant a lot. Uh, I remember when Jungle Book came to the local cinema, um, and we'd found a way of sneaking in through the back door. And um, every afternoon, I watched the matinee. One week, <laughs> Jungle Book. I know every song in that film so well.
0: <laughs> Wish you. I mean, you said you was you, you, you was bullied um, because you you, you, you you know you was effeminate and, and, and did you aside from that did did you did you you know for somebody that become you know a pop star did you like attention was you a show off was you confident?
2: I'd say I was, yeah. My mum's friend came round, uh, Irene, anti-Irene. We used to call her. Auntie Irene's... Auntie Irene's here, Mum. She used to come round, and she used to put on this record called Bridget the Midget by Ray Stevens. Do you remember that one? And and she used to get me to mind to it. Now, I could have only been about seven, eight or nine at the time, and I just... And I think Irene's responsible for me being a show-off. I'm going to blame it on Irene. <laughs> Auntie Irene. Brilliant.
0: Um all right, so for track four, let's let's I would imagine we're still back in Wigan at this point. Um what was the first song you bought from a record shop?
2: So um first song I bought from a record shop was Crackling Rose by Neil Diamond, in nineteen seventy. So I was what about a twelve. Record. Yeah. Uh, it certainly is, and what a voice. What a voice. Um, I remember my dad being amazed that I would work all day to save enough money just to buy a record. And I did all kinds of jobs, gardening, paper rounds, bread deliveries. It was exciting buying records and hearing them played on our new posh stereogram cabinet that mum and dad had just bought on higher purchase, from our, for our Wigan council house. It had separate bass and treble controls and a volume that seemed massive and exciting. Oh, and I thought we were so modern and up-to-date after we got that <laughs> stereogram. So now we had a telephone, a gas fire and a colour TV. Woohoo hoo <laughs> So um, playing Crackling Rose on that stereogram that mum and dad had just bought was it felt like you had a nightclub in your lounge. It was just awesome.
0: Yeah. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So, And search off the beat and track podcast, and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button, and you can go through, and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up. Get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Um, well, record shops important to you growing up? Would you find like, would you escape to a record shop, and you know, well, not not just for the sake of What was on the on the the actual disc itself, but you know, album artwork was like you know, was you drawn to you know, imagery and 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 these you know, stark sort of looking covers and stuff.
2: Oh, you're talking to the record nerd. I was an absolute nerd. I Mm. would, you know, when the record was going round, I was doing this, trying to read the small writing, because I had to do it all at the same time. Of course, you know. Um, So, yeah, I wanted to know who wrote it, who produced it, every single bit of information. I loved the smell of the record shop. Um, They knew me. I, I, I was raised in an area of Wigan called Pemberton, and we had an independent record shop there. And that shop just was everything to me. You know, the excitement of of thinking of going to the shop when I had my next 50 pence saved up. In fact, I think my first, the first records I bought were 35p. So I, I had to do, and I used to get 10 pence for cutting hedges of people's gardens. So I'd do like three hedges or maybe four hedges and I'd have enough for another record. So that, that independent record shop meant so much. If you went into Wigan Town, of course it was Woolworths. They had a good record section. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lovely. So yeah, I I I loved that record shot. I can still picture it so vividly.
0: Track five. Let's move it forwards to uh, to going clubbing, and I want to know what song soundtrack your years in Clubland, please, Lamar. All-
2: so um, the song that soundtrack my use in Clubland is Street Life by the Crusaders, featuring Randy Crawford, 1979.
0: Uh, uh, it's a perfect, perfect record. Her voice. Every now and again I have these moments and where I just go, I you know, need to listen to Randy, to Randy Crawford. Crawford. And, and I, I just yeah. don't... Uh, her voice is something spectacular.
2: It's a very... I mean, I didn't realise it at the time, but when I listen to it now with an older, more experienced ear, it's such, a, it's such a clever record. You know, there's a lot of... The Crusaders were a jazz group, so you've got that combination of her jazzy soul vocal, kind of a pop thing. There's a pop element in there. I, otherwise, I don't, I'm not sure I would have enjoyed it so much. But it's so clever, all the key changes. I was 20... I'd recently moved to London. I knew I was gay at that point, And this song was such a big song in the gay clubs. And my favourite gay club in central London then was called Scandals on Water Street, which had a lit up dance floor that, by the way, can be seen in the video for Ant Music by Adam and the Ants. And the lyric felt like it was describing the new London I was beginning to discover, edgy fast paced and sometimes seedy, especially around Soho. Male prostitutes known as rent boys in gay circles, famously operated at Piccadilly Circus station. And there were stories about undercover pretty policemen pretending to be rent boys to lure clients and then arrest them. Life felt dangerous because like many young gay men, I was legally underage and could have been arrested myself just for being gay. But thankfully, the authorities had more important things to do and left us alone for the most part. When I hear street life, I'm 20 again on that lit-up dance floor.
0: How, does, how did it feel being somebody that was brought up, you know, and, uh, you know in, where there was a mining community and, 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 and being, you know, bullied, you know, for, 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 your sexuality and how did it feel at, at 20 to, to, to be in London? And, and, and although still, I guess, you know, as you said, it was illegal, but to be surrounded by other people that had experienced what you'd experienced, like, how, how did that feel to, to be able to sort of be way more comfortable and, and ex, you know, and express your sexuality
2: more? Well, b- being gay in this late mid to late 70s, was just not like it is today. It was yeah. so, um, you know, you're practically a serial killer. <laughs> you know. Um, there were no gay role models. It was really frowned upon. People said you were queer and, and uh, it was frightening. And I know when I realized that, that I was um, starting to get those feelings, it was terrifying it it and so so you run away to where you feel safer and i felt safer in london i, I partly came to london because uh, i i wanted to make try and make it in the music business but um the there's no curtain twitching in a, in a in a in a cosmopolitan city big city you you're freer to express yourself you feel safer with a bigger community, like, you know, your own community. Yeah. And so, um, no, London was massively important for expanding my mind, you know, for f- sort of being free of the constraints of the fear. But you, sure. still, you still had to be careful. OK. So,
0: we're going to go back to your, your home county for track six Lamar <laughs> and a, fi- a favorite song from your home county.
2: So, favorite song from an artist from my home county. I was going to go for Cry for Help, Rick Hassel in 1991, which I bought. Uh, he's from Newton Lee Willows, which is near Wigan. Okay, but I've chosen, I've decided to choose When I'm Cleaning Windows, George Formby, 1936. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, Now, this song, right, can you believe it, was banned by the BBC, who considered the lyrics racy, which I suppose it was for the time. But the BBC relented after George's manager and his wife, Beryl, pointed out to them that it was a favourite of the royal family, and in particular, Queen Mary, and that George had performed it at the Royal Variety Performance.
0: So what what are the lyrics? So that, is, it like, is it something about what he can see when he's cleaning windows? I, I don't actually know any part of it, really, other than the when I'm cleaning windows bit. I, I, I don't think I've ever really listened to it. At, at, now I go times.
2: cleaning windows to an honest bob For a nosy parker, it's an interesting job <laughs> Now it's a job that just suits me A window cleaner you would be If you could see what I could see <laughs> When I'm cleaning windows
0: Oh, i tell you what, when I got <laughs> mad, that's what I call music, and I sat there reading The Inner Sleeve and looking at that picture of you. If someone would have told me that many years later you'd be singing George Formby to me on my computer screen, I don't <laughs> think I'd ever have <laughs> believed you. <laughs> uh,
2: it's, uh, you know, there's a statue of George Formby in Wigan, and um, of course I've taken the selfie with it. <laughs> It's, it's sort of sad, really. It's in the shopping centre, a very modern shopping centre. It just doesn't feel right. If can, anyone from Wigan Council is, is listening to this, I think he needs a more prominent, sacred place. You know, he was the highest-paid entertainer in the UK in his day. It's just really? phenomenal, phenomenal career. And obviously the movies as well. Um, and charming, and the talent of the of the ukulele playing was was phenomenal.
0: Okay, and so I mean, let's just touch on that Rick Astley track as well, because that was the track that um, I guess we talked about hit factories and Motown and obviously Stock Aitken and Waterman was very much that in, in the, 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 you know, very similar sort of business model towards, you know, late eighties. And then Rick Astley was famously the, the T-boy in uh, the, 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 the hit factory of of Stock Aitken and Waterman. And then released his first music from them and then kind of disappeared, come back a big mop of long hair and really showcased his, vocal abilities and his songwriting skills with, 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 with this. It's, it's a beautiful record cry for help, isn't it?
2: I, I think it really surprised everybody. Um, absolutely. Uh, because away from PWL suddenly he was free to um, be creative in his own way. And, and of course at the end of that song when that choir comes in goosebumps on the arm absolutely brilliant song and it wasn't it shortly after that he like retired for 10 years or something
0: yeah
2: which yeah. respect to him you know he wanted to raise his family and everything and uh, it's fun that he's back um i've worked with him he's very sweet um and charming and and he's got the northern accent still and he's yeah. dead proud of it um no uh, hats off to ricky that that's really um I'd love to know the the how I'm always fascinated by songs and how they evolved you know where did the first idea come from what stages did it go through where was it recorded who produced it you know when I tell people that too shy the single you hear the hit single is the third recording of the song people are really surprised there I were didn't two, know that. there were two demos absolutely I don't think I don't think it's easy to stumble on really good things. You've got to dig really deep, m- melodically, harmonically. You think of a hundred years of music; every lyric's been written, really, every melody's been written, and so you have to dig a lot deeper to find something, um, to stumble on something, really. And um, and Rick did that with uh, "Cry for Help," for sure. Mm.
0: OK, it's your last song, and let's finish with some drama. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's your opportunity to play DJ, Lamar, and, uh, and, and turn someone onto a record that they may not have heard before.
2: OK. So, um, again, lots of choices. Um, the song that many may not know that I want them to hear is... Da-da-da-da, drum roll, drum roll. The Way of Love by Shirley Bassey. Now, I have a confession. I have approximately 64 Shirley Bassey albums on vinyl. I started collecting her albums around the age of 20. Uh, When people talk about Bassey's music, they usually go for the obvious tracks, like the two Bond themes, Goldfinger and Diamonds Are Forever, or Never, 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 or the George Harrison song, Something, which, by the way, Bassi's version is the best in my opinion. Uh, I agree, I agree. But I discovered some fantastic bassy album tracks, especially from the mid-'70s, and this is one of them. Originally, it was a hit in America for Cher in 1972 from her Gypsy Tramps and Thieves album. It spent three weeks on the Billboard Top Ten, and sold over a million copies. It was written by a French guy. Lyrics were translated to English later on by Al Stillman. 60s singer Kathy Kirby was the first to record it, but it didn't even make the top 50. Bass's version is magic, full of drama, a royal command performance of the song, if you like, which ends with one of her trademark long high notes. Love it. Uh,
0: I, I it's it's um. I I, I think that um. Bassy's mid seventies era is just. I mean, she she recorded a cover of "Light My Fire" in the mid in the mid seventies.
2: I know it. I know it.
0: And and it's
2: <laughs> uh, those strings <sighs> on the beginning. <laughs> ba-ba, ba-ba, yeah, ba-ba. it's like
0: huge, and like <laughs> and I played that. Um, I've played that in my club, and it just sounds... I mean, everything Bassie does is epic and riddled with drama, but that, that version of, of, of Like My Fire, and I totally agree with you on, on, a, on her take on something. I, I think it's just stunning. Like I could, I could talk about Bassie all day, Lamar. I, I think she's incredible. I, I've never seen her perform live. Have you?
2: OMG!
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, about three times. And, and get, um, I'm going to make you jealous now, uh, Stu. I've actually met her. Wow. I met her. So, um, so Never Ending story was in the charts, she played at the Royal Albert Hall, and I made a few calls and got tickets. And there was a party after the show backstage, which I, I got invited to. And um, she finally arrived about an hour <laughs> after she finished performing... She came into the room and she, some guy was like taken around meeting people. When she got to me, uh, the, the chap said, uh, And this is Lamar from Kanji Goo who's just in the charts at the moment with Never Ending Story. And she said, Oh, I would love to be in the charts again. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, I said, You know, Shirley, I've loved you for a long time. I really have. And it's a thrill to meet you. And can I have a hug? And, and, oh, of course, she said, and she threw, she threw her arms around me. And my gay friend who was with me just said, can I have one as well? <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. It's a brilliant moment. Yeah, Basti live. Oh, what can I say? I sent her an Easter egg once, you know. <laughs> I sent her an Easter egg. I heard that she stayed at the Dorchester. So this is probably the 21-year-old. And, um... I was at the front of the concert when, you know that bit in the oh, you don't know, you didn't see a live, but it, there was this thing in a basket well, they do it at all gigs. There's this thing where everybody runs down towards the end. The security try to stop them, but they fail. And so I'm right at the front and she's coming along accepting flowers and shaking hands. And when she gets to me, I'm shouting at the top of my voice. And I've got, I've got the hands around my mouth to try and uh, improve the sound. And I'm going, did you get my Easter egg? And, and she said, oh, it was yours. Thank you. Thank you. That was it. That was a moment. Yeah. Oh,
0: wonderful. Yeah, brilliant. So, so when we get out of lockdown what's what's happening uh, for you what's what's happening what we got coming up
2: well i think like everybody else it's going to be um it's going to be slow build isn't it careful slow build i actually think that's the way it should be um as i said earlier i'm scared of this virus i don't want to get it i'm not sure that i'd survive so and you know what you know what it's like as you get older you get more and more paranoid about um I, is, is, is there something wrong here um am i okay I met, I met a guy once from um, uh, Johnny H. Jazz, and, and he made me laugh when we were backstage talking. <laughs> he just said, and, and actually me and my partner Steve, we always use this line now. We, we always say, I've got a mark on my army. And he goes, well, naturally you think the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. But um, I had a diary full of gigs, you know, um, UK and abroad, and uh, everything's been postponed. So... Um, out of lockdown, um, I guess uh, I'll be like everybody else. I probably won't be flying. Um, I think the UK economy is going to boom in the summer because we'll, we'll all just go to the seaside in the UK. And that's yeah. what that's what I'm thinking about. I'd just love to go to the seaside and just get some sea air. Very happy just to get through this year and wait till they get a vaccine or, or treatment where we all feel safe. And then, hopefully, slowly, life gets to normal. I will say this about it. I find it, i said it before, I find it phenomenal that we spent billions over the decades on weapons of war and yet here we are with this invisible virus just um, knocking out the world, as it were. And uh, we got it the wrong way round.
0: <laughs> yeah, Completely completely
2: but i'm optimistic i'm an optimistic person and uh i you know i try to see my cup as half full not half empty i think mentally that's how you have to survive you've got to you've got to try and look for the good stuff definitely
0: lamar it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you thank you and when i saw the songs that you sent over i knew it was going to be a good chat and i wasn't wrong um i really appreciate your time and uh and yeah hopefully um let us know when you're, you're gigging when this is all over and done with and uh, and i'll come down and i'll bring an easter egg for you
2: ah <laughs> i love it dark chocolate please uh, no problem can i just mention the website you probably will of anyway course. somewhere of but course. it's com. you didn't ask me about my new single are we are you gonna do a little link to it or something on yeah we can do we can your, do of course on your podcast or something
0: that, that's why i asked what's coming up like oh i
2: see Oh, that was my that was my cue. That was
0: your cue. That I was, was your miles cue. We do it. We do it now. <laughs>
2: um, do you know when this is being broadcast at all?
0: I can put it out whenever it works for you. Oh,
2: okay, okay. Uh, so um, yeah, so during the during the lockdown, it's a great time to be creative and. Um, for the first time in eight years, uh, because of the American TV shows using my music and a whole kind of new audience being interested in my voice, if you like, um, I just thought, do you know what? I'll just go in the studio, see if we can find anything interesting musically, lyrically. And, and, and then if the, if the fruits of that are any good, let's release it. Because the wonderful thing about technology now, you know, with, with social media, with, with the streaming sites, you, I don't need a major record company to sign me. And they wouldn't sign me anyway. And they'd probably laugh me out the door. They're, they're looking to sign new young acts. Very, very few heritage acts can get a record deal. And so technology really helps in that way. So my new single is released on June the 5th. It's called Still in Love. And um, I wrote it with a, a German composer, Miro Marcus. Uh, I love it. I'm really proud of it. Um, and it's going to be released digitally. So it'll be available to stream or download. And I I've, I've, I've just made the music video for it in January in Margate. And then all this happened. So thankfully the, the video is done and that, that's going to be um alongside the song so please check it out
0: and um, you can stream it and watch the video on the website
2: um june the 5th yeah okay all the links well, are on the website and the links to social media are there as well
0: wonderful well i'll add all the links to uh, the page that this podcast is available on and uh, and, and and take you in everything on the social media brilliant lamar thank uh, you very much there you go well, that was an absolute blast. What a lovely, lovely man. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, thanks ever so much for listening. Uh, thanks ever so much for uh, Lamal for giving up his time. Thank you to Paula um, at the PR comp- uh, his PR company for um, facilitating that for me. And, yeah, I'll be back next week. Um, if you can't wait that long for another podcast, go and head over to Patreon where there's loads of other unique content you can listen to there. Um, and, Yeah. See you soon. Take care. Bye bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and ACast, and it's a one stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson. And there's features on Jade Adams. And there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device, how good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online, because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com. <laughs> It's off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with it.
1: Hold up.